What's up, guys? Thanks for coming to our Kaafa and Miss You podcast. Here, you will find resources to help you grow in real devotion, real community, and real responsibility. So you can learn to love Jesus, not just for a season, but for a lifetime. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Good to see everyone at Kaiapha again. How many people have already been, mission trips have been mentioned to you in some way, shape, or form? Everyone's all, I don't know, is it a secret? I guess it's not if I asked about it. I might get in trouble for it later, so it's okay. You can be excited about being asked to go on mission trips um, for the same reason as having a missions week. That's why we want to go to other campuses. That's why we want to go around the world. I actually think it's not nearly as dangerous as some stereotypes might make us believe. But we want to go around the world because there are people dying who will never get to hear about Jesus, who don't want anything to do with Jesus, who ever have anyone to mention anything about Jesus. Or if they did one time, they turned away from it completely, absolutely wanting nothing to do with it because it meant what they would lose was far more important to them. And so we want to go, even if it means being rejected over and over and over again. Because Jesus did say, if they're going to hate me, then what makes you think they're not going to hate you? And so, if you're loved by the world a lot, doesn't mean you have to be rude or weird or mean. But if you're loved by the world and not rejected at all for the gospel, then we might be doing something wrong. Does that make sense? But nonetheless, mission trips are fun. I know the hardest part for me was usually getting some time off. But it actually wasn't that hard if I asked uh, off ahead of time. Does anyone here work or get a new job this semester? Already? Yeah, where are you working? I didn't know you worked. Taco Bell. Oh, yeah. Man, speaking of bad food, Claudia, thank you. Thank you for bringing me pastries tonight. I was doing really good with my macros. I have a little app that tracks everything, and then she threw 98 calories my way, or 98 carbs my way. And I was under 98 for the whole day, so thank you. But who else? Anyone else have a job, new job this semester? No? Besides Claudia working at the Bean? Grace, where? In a lab. In a lab? <laughs> like Dexter's laboratory? Does anyone know what that is, or is that a 96? <laughs> Who said yes? Okay. All the older people, or just the Amish people in the back. No, I'm just kidding, Jake. <laughs> um, I actually really did enjoy... Uh, Jobs in college, because, and I guess you don't have to if you really don't like to. I do like my job, so I enjoy staying in this one for a long time. But before making a bigger commitment to a bigger job that I feel like is irresponsible to just walk away from at any given moment, uh, my favorite part was having jobs at random places at random times. I worked at an Under Armour outlet for a few years, spent all my money there because you get half off of everything. Even the already discounted items, so yes, 40% clearance was 40%, and then 50%. And so I think I still have clothes from then, and that was my freshman year of college. Then I worked at Kohl's for two weeks, um, decided it wasn't for me, that there were other things that were better for me. And so (laughs) I went my separate ways with Kohl's, but it was cool. I got to see the back and the way it worked. There are big conveyor belts, like at airports. Has anyone worked at Kohl's before? Just want to make sure I'm not being inaccurate in my descriptions. And then I worked at two attorney's offices. And what I found was really interesting is that the only reason I got a job at the attorney's office was because of this letter of introduction I wrote. I was an English major, so I ended up learning how to write with really well. 
I didn't know how to write really well when I applied for that job, though. My mom wrote that letter for me. And so I remember in the interview when I got hired, uh, he said, yeah, yeah, this, you don't have many of the qualifications we're looking for. I know that you want to go to law school, this and that. The only reason we're hiring you is because that letter of introduction was phenomenal, and we do need someone who will do a lot of writing. And I thought, well, I absolutely can do that. I didn't do it very well, but I still got hired. So... To work, what I realized for some of the more successful companies or organizations means you need to have qualifications that are superb if you want to work for superb companies. If you want to play for the highest levels of uh, sporting teams, uh, you have to have the highest levels of athletic abilities. To be a part of anything worthwhile usually means your qualifications need to be worthwhile. Now, yes, some of us are very optimistic and think, yeah, I am the 1% of NMSU students who will work for a Fortune 500 company and will come back and everyone at NMSU will want to interview me and they'll have lecture halls named after me. I also am in denial. I think I will get to play against Paul Macbeth one day and get to beat him at disc golf. So it's okay. If you think that, I am also in denial. We can talk about this later. But I understand delusion also. At some point, each of us has to ask, or should ask, or already asking, or when you've tried your whole life to do something that's long-lasting and worthwhile, you will ask then, what will it take? Why haven't I? What would it have taken to do something that was worthwhile, that would have lasted long after me? I'm just one person with limited talents, limited energy, limited strength, and limited knowledge, but the Bible emphasizes that much can come from little. If, and this is the only condition, the only qualification, the little is truly surrendered to God. There are actually no little people and no big people in the true spiritual sense. There are only surrendered to God and not surrendered to God. And so we must remember throughout our lives that in God's sight, there are no little people and there are no little unwanted places. Only one thing is truly important, either being surrendered to God in God's place for us, being fully surrendered to God in God's place for us. So in light of this reality, last week we started a series called No Little People, No Little Places, because we want to show you how God used people in history and in in the biblical record that most would have looked at and thought that is a little person in an insignificant place, and he used them to do eternal, long-lasting, long after they were gone, profound type of things, so that you will know he can still do that through us as well. Because we're not here in Chi Alpha so that we can wander in God's love, looking all around us, enamored, although we will do that. But we're not here to just wander around aimlessly in his love. We're on God's mission to reconcile the world to himself. And it's not until you have people who love you or you love that are around you that are no longer here. When someone unexpectedly dies or is no longer around, when you finally realize there was something serious you should have taken in life. There was something serious they should have taken serious in life. Does it make sense? And too many of us are too young to ever think that way because very few serious things happen to people our age. But on this mission, there are no little people and no little places. So... It was Paul in a letter to the Corinthians who said, Brothers, consider the time of your calling. Not many of, you, not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many are powerful. Not many of you are from noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
He chose the lowly and despised of the world and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So we'll pray and I'll get started. Jesus, we need you. Help us to see clearly tonight. Would you show up and be here? Help us to hear you. Would you move powerfully in the name of Jesus? Amen. So have you ever met someone or known someone or read about someone and you think to yourself, man, there is just something that is so other about them. Does it make sense? Like there's something about you that can't, there's something about them that can't be replicated. It can't be faked. It can't be strived after to be had. Something about them, something about them that inspires you and pulls you and drives you to want to be however they are and do whatever they do so that you can be however they are. I've watched people try hard to be these type of people. They try to say very little because they think it makes them sound wise, but it really just looks like they're allergic to words. They try to be very serious, very stoic in the serious moments, but really it just makes them look like a vacuum for joy and fun. Some try really hard to be joyful and loud, but really it can be just kind of intrusive. The problem isn't these things in and of themselves. It's that we keep trying to be these things, keep trying to do these things. When the people we see do them that inspires it, it's just who they are. Does it make sense? They're not trying to be stoic or serious when the moment calls for it. They're not trying to be silent in order to look wise or in order to look like they know what they're talking about. Does it make sense? It's just who they are. It flows out of them like it's a part of them. They're just different. And that different inspires you and wants you, makes you want to be different. There was a boy just like that named Samuel Morris. When you read about him, these are the ways you end up feeling. You read about him and think, I am just so far from that in so many ways and in more ways than I can explain and in deeper ways than I can imagine. Sammy, <clears throat> as his friends call him, so I'm going to refer to him that, like that because he's a friend of mine now. I read a lot with him. Sammy grew up in Africa in the late 1800s. And during that time, uh, there were many African kings because to be a king, all you needed was people to follow you, the ability to provide for them, and the ability to lead them and to bring order. So Sammy's dad was one of these kings. A few hundred people followed him, making him a prince. And this meant that many different kingdoms, because there were so many, were always fighting in wars for land and goods and so on. And so during one of their wars, Sammy was taken as a hostage so that his dad would have to pay a price to get him back. His dad tried to pay it. It was far less than what the other tribe wanted. So he would get whipped every day until they waited for the full payment. So another day, his dad offered more of their tribe's goods for Sammy, and he offered his little sister for, for him. And Sammy begged his dad not to trade her, saying that he was older and could bear the beatings better than she could. So he stayed in slavery to this other African tribe. And one day, before a whipping, because it was getting so bad and so unbearable, day after day, the man was getting more and more vicious. He ran into the woods with all he had in the, in the East African woods, and after many, or West African woods, <clears throat> and after many, many days, Sammy reached the coast. I'm trying to remember west to you guys is my east. He reached the coast and started working on a coffee plantation. And another young boy that was working there had just become a Christian. And he began to tell Sammy about Jesus and took him to church. And this is what Sammy said. He said, I could not comprehend at the time the significance of church, the Bible, the preacher, or the other things. But I felt that God was in that place and that in the presence 
of the pure and awful being who filled that house, I was sinful and undone. And at church, the boy who brought Sammy was praying. And Sammy looked over at him and said, what are you doing? He says, I'm talking to God. Who is God? He says, he's my father. And Sammy, being a very practical thinker, all he said was, oh, oh, so you're talking to your father. And he says, oh, yes. And so from then forward, Sammy always referred to prayer as talking to his father. So he, if there was ever a person that would have been seen as a little person in a little place, it would have been Samuel Morris. He was the prince of a small, unimportant African king that was easily beaten. And then he had no family, lost in a jungle, and then working for nearly nothing except to be given clothes for his back on a coffee plantation. He had no education, no strategic way of thinking, and all he did know how to do was think practically. But little in the hands of God is always much if the little is fully surrendered to him. And so maybe some of you feel that way. You don't know a lot. You're not the smartest or else we'd all be at Ivy League schools right now. You're not the best at the things you do or else you'd be, paying the be- you'd be getting paid the best dollars to be doing it. Some of you see how little you and I really are. But little in the hands of God can be used for much if that little is fully surrendered to him. So Sammy worked at this coffee plantation long enough to learn English, read a little, and acquire his new name, Samuel, because his original name was Kabu, which Javi wants to name his next son. Kabu Corral. I like it. Doesn't that sound good, Isaiah? I like it. No matter what his name is, his name is now Kabu. So Sammy went to another coastal town later on, started working on how, or painting houses, and went to every church service that was offered. And during this time, Sammy began to be deeply broken and burdened for his own people, like what we were talking about with missions. He wanted to preach to his people the sweet Jesus who had so gloriously saved him. And one day, he went to the missionary that was there and told him about this. And the missionary said that to preach to his people... He must be educated. To be educated, he must go to America. And to go to America would cost $100, which was an extraordinary amount of money at the time. And so later that night, he went straight to the woods to talk to his father about this problem. And this is what he said. Now, Father, you have called me to preach to my people. But the missionary says I can't preach without an education. And that to be educated, I must go to America. And Father, you know I don't have a single cent. So please make a way for me to go. And not long after that, Sammy said, I knew my father would make a way for me to go. And he began talking to another missionary in that town about the Holy Spirit and continued to ask and ask and ask about the Holy Spirit. And this missionary said, look, I've learned all that I know from this pastor in, New York, in, in America. And so if you want to know more, you're going to have to go talk to him. And he's in New York City. So Sammy said, okay, I'm going. And so he goes to the the coast that day to a city, to the local city, and he goes up to a docked boat, walks up to the captain and says, you need to take me to New York. He was immediately denied, then cursed at, and then kicked. But Sammy said, oh yes, you will take me. And so for two more days, he kept pestering this captain about taking him. Lo and behold, two uh, two of his sailors ended up leaving, so he actually needed help. And during Sammy's time on this ship, the captain and half of the men on it met Jesus and gave their lives to him because of Sammy. And when he got to New York, he found his way to the pastor named Stephen Merritt. 
And he left Sammy there that night at the church because Stephen needed to go, or Pastor Merritt needed to go to a prayer meeting. And when he got back to talk to Sammy, he walks into the church and finds 17 full-grown men face down on the floor weeping with joy because Sammy had led them to Jesus. And so after days together, many people gave money to Sammy so that he could go to the university. And one day, Stephen Merritt, on his, one of his last days there, was taking Sammy through New York City on stagecoach, showing him all this stuff, showing him the town, the people, the buildings. And Sammy said this. He looks at him and says, Mr. Merritt, we, we shall pray now. And then he prays and says, Holy Spirit, I have come from Africa to talk to Stephen Merritt about you. But we have talked about everything else. He has shown me the church, the city, the people, when I so badly want to hear and know about you. Would you take things out of Stephen Merritt's heart and fill him with yourself so that he would only preach, write, and talk of you? And then Stephen Merritt after that day said, I have not written a line or spoken a word since, only for or in the Holy Spirit. So many of you think, because you know so little about God, that there is very little you can do for him. But little in the hands of God can always be used for much when that little is fully surrendered to him. Before even being educated, Sammy won dozens of people to Jesus. Even though he knew little, all of him was surrendered to Jesus. And above all, he wanted to know the Comforter Divine. He wanted to know and have the Holy Spirit in his life and day. He wanted to know and have the Holy Spirit so true and so near as a friend. And he did. You have to ask yourself, why are we so afraid to say anything about Jesus just because we know so little when Samuel Morris knew significantly less but couldn't stop talking about him. He was more consumed in his love for Jesus than consumed in his lack of knowledge about him. He knew God had met him in the African jungle, that his father talked to him daily, that he got Sammy to America and then led him to Stephen Merritt four miles from the coast so that he could learn more about the Holy Spirit. And he knew that Jesus had pardoned and loved him when he was guilty and unlovable. The reason it's easy for us to be more scared of what we don't know and too busy with what we do have is because we don't remember or even know how dark and blind we either are or once were. And we might have forgotten or don't even know how blind and trapped we really are or were. We forget or just haven't asked the Lord to help us see how dark our hearts can truly be. When we, <clears throat> we don't speak about Jesus like Sammy did because his love for Jesus was greater than his lack of knowledge about him. <clears throat> so lastly, when Sammy was at Taylor University, people knew him as what they called a child of prayer when people would go into his room, they would go knock and they would hear him praying, but he wouldn't get up to answer the door until his talk with God was over and his soul was satisfied. And then he would come to the door smiling and he would say, you can come in now. We're done talking this time. He also loved his Bible and read it as best he could, but he would also make other people read it to him every time they came to visit him. They would make, he would make them read a chapter. And one day, a young man who wasn't a Christian came to visit Sammy, and he asked him to read a chapter. But the young man said, well, I don't believe the Bible. And Sammy goes, what? Your father speaks, and you don't believe him? Your brother speaks, and you don't believe him? The sun rises, and you don't believe it? 
God, your father, Christ, your brother, the Holy Spirit, your son, I will pray for you. And then and then he prayed for him. And the man and the boy was one to Jesus. One year, Sammy was called into the office to be assigned a room for the semester. And the man said, Sammy, what room do you want? What room should I give you? Oh, Mr. Reed, he said, any room is good enough for me. If there's a room that nobody else wants, just give me that one. Mr. Reed wrote this. He said, I turned my face away full of tears and asked myself whether I was willing to take what nobody else wanted. Or was I above that? Did I want the best of things? Was I below Take, was I above taking what no one else wanted? After just a few years in the university, Samuel Morris ended up dying because his body wasn't used to the cold of Indiana. But before he died, he was asked, what about the work that God had called you to in Africa? What's going to happen? And he said, others can do it better than me. It's not my work anyway. It's Christ's work, and he must choose his own workers. And when asked if he feared death, he said, oh no, Mr. Reed. Since I have found Jesus, death is my friend. I don't think I will love my teachers in heaven any better than I love you, Dr. Steeman, or Miss Husted. But I will learn faster there. I won't be so dumb. And on the day he died, he told some visitors, Oh, I am so happy today. I understand it now. I've seen the angels, and they will come for me soon. And then after he died, someone asked, Why? And how could such a holy life be cut short? And the other man said, My friend, some flowers are too beautiful to bloom on earth. This was an example of a life that is so other, it draws you to want to be like that. You see them and want to be that way. You hear them and you want to speak that way. You look into their eyes and you want to see the things they see. You see the overflow of their heart isn't anger or jealousy or the desire for the best, but humility and loneliness and kindness without even trying. And you want your heart to overflow with that. Even rereading this, you think to yourself, I am so much farther from looking like Jesus than I thought I was. I don't even look like this. My heart isn't even like that. Would we go wherever God calls us, and then trust that our Father would get us there. Do we lead people to Jesus? Because although we don't know everything, we do know that He is everything to us. Are we willing to take the things that nobody else wants, to serve when nobody else wants to? Do we love talking to our Father? You do not need to be much in the eyes of the world to be used much by God. You do not need to know much of what the world thinks is important. I'm not saying you don't learn, but you don't need to know much of what the world thinks is important to be used much by God. But you must be fully surrendered to Him because little in the hands of God can be used for much when that little is fully given to Him. Samuel Morris, although little to the world, was used by God because he had what's called a spirit-filled life. God does much through what the world sees as nothings because he gives us the Holy Spirit. 
He uses the have-nots to confound the haves. He uses the weak to shame and make the strong look foolish. However, God's only condition for a spirit-filled life is that you sincerely, genuinely, wholeheartedly, not double-mindedly, yield and lay all of yourself at his feet for him. Does that make sense? So as I close, I'm going to explain in short the spirit-filled life that makes it possible for there to be no little people and no little places. Make sense? Jesus says no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So one, we have to be born of the Spirit. And there's a lot to explain that I won't. When we confess that we are, when we confess what we really are to God, He promises to forgive and transform us. Then we are baptized of the Spirit. When we really trust our lives and give them back to Him, then we are what's called sealed by the Spirit. To be sealed by the Spirit is to be marked by God as His property. Make sense? It implies ownership. The Holy Spirit's, how do you know? You're like, how do I know if I have been sealed? How do I know if I belong to God? The Holy Spirit's presence, His comfort in your life, His guidance that you listen to, His voice in your life daily is what marks us that we belong to Him. Anything less than that is not what the Bible says the Christian experience is meant to be. Anything less than that is a fake, or at least someone sold you a fake. Does it make sense? There is much more, much more glorious, much less boring than anything less than that. And at the moment someone becomes a true child of God, they're what's called indwelled by the Spirit. And then the secret behind the life of Samuel Morris is that we are filled with the Spirit. And then we go forward walking in the Spirit so that we can look more like Jesus every day and that we can do, and then God can do through little people and in little places what He has saved, what He has planned for a dying world. And then finally, every day, we get to be renewed by the Spirit. Make sense? So we are meant to be born of the Spirit, baptized of the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, indwelled by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and daily renewed by the Spirit. So why is this necessary? Because to change the world for Jesus is not a natural thing. We can be inspired today, go try ourselves tomorrow. Much might come out of it, but very little usually lasts. It is a supernatural work and requires supernatural power. We cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. When we see people like we've been talking about, it's because they're so full of the Holy Spirit that their heart has been changed. That's what I meant by you can't try to do this. You can't try to be more joyful. Try all these things. I do fight for it. I do choose it. But it's different when your life is full of the Holy Spirit. Does it make sense? You can't effort your way into these things. This was the secret of the life of Samuel Morris, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And God said this is a gift for his children. And he gives the right to be called children to the ones who trust him and give their lives back to him. Does it make sense? Your life is either your own or it's his. You can't have his gifts if you want your own life. Makes sense? You can give yourself your own gifts. And sooner or later you'll realize how small those really are and how not fun they really are. And that, you see what I'm saying? 
So if this is something you want, then this is the gift we're going to ask for tonight. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, walk a Spirit-filled life, then we are just going to simply ask God to give you the gift He promised. But the one condition is that your whole life is His. Any pursuits you think you wanted, any desires you think you had, any relationships you longed and clawed for, anything you could think you want, you say, I don't, I don't want these as much as I want you. I could lose them all. And it may be hard, but you are all I want. Your life is not your own. And if you want to be filled with the Spirit, then I want you, after we're done praying, to come to the altar and you can pray and the staff We'll pray over you. Now, staff, this is a gift that God promised. It wouldn't make sense for a child to have to beg for a gift that was promised. Does it make sense? He only has to ask. So we don't need to sit and like pray for an hour and a half. Does it make sense? Unless, not for the gift. You can pray for whatever you want. But the gift just needs to be asked for. It doesn't need to be conjured. It doesn't need feelings to be made. It's a gift that he promised, and it's his job to give it. And it's our job to ask. Make sense? So all you have to do is ask God to be true to his promise and give the gift that his sincere children are asking for. So we'll pray, and then the altars will be open. You can come up and pray. And when the staff are ready, we'll just pray and ask God to give you the gift that he's promised us. Cool? Jesus, Lord, we want to do so much for you. We want you to share your dreams and visions for the world. We want you to share your mission for the world with us. We want you to share your heart with us so that we are burdened and broken the way you are, that we are also full of joy because we have you and therefore losing everything else is so small because we get you. Lord, we want all of these things. We want to be people that draw people to you just because we are so different, to be so full of love for you that we cannot help but speak, but talk about you, but want others to know you. Lord, you promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. Will you please give our friends this gift tonight? Lord, will you give everyone in here burdens for something in this world, for some people group, for some nation, for some campus, for some area of the marketplace, for some city and church. Will you give us burdens? You see them all. Share your heart and brokenness with us. Help us see sin the way you see it. Lord, give us burdens. Call us to places. We want to go, whatever the cost. We love you, Jesus. You are so worth it and so good. Help us to just be simple like Sammy and just love you and just enjoy and be so joy-filled because of you. In Jesus' name, amen.